morning. Everyone enjoying the sunshine? It's good, isn't it? It's really good. If, if there's something for you to pray for this week, it's that this sunshine continues at least for another week and a half, because I'm camping next weekend. And we looked at the forecast. We were, we were full of faith and expectancy on the back of the sunshine in the last few days. We thought, oh, God's going to bless us. He really does love us. It's going to be lovely and sunny. And, and you look on the sort of seven-day forecast and it's rain clouds on Saturday and Sunday. And uh, Monday, Monday the, the, rain, the raindrops may stop. But, so please do... Uh, well, no, actually, that isn't really a thing for you to pray for, but um, we're, cert- we're certainly praying this good weather continues. If you've got your Bibles with, with you, please turn to Colossians chapter 1. That's where we'll be uh, looking at this morning. We're, we're working our way through the book of Colossians. Um, through uh, a series called Live Your Life. And the reoccurring theme in this book of the Bible is the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And we've been singing a bit about that earlier in our worship. He is before all things. He is above all things. In Jesus Christ, all things hold together. And that's, that's a theme that you'll see coming time and time again. Now, I've got the privilege of looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. And I think these verses, more than any other, show the supremacy of Christ. And we're going to look at these verses um, under three headings. We're going to look at them under Jesus is God, Jesus creator, and Jesus, sustainer of all things. And I think it's so, so important that we have a right view of, of who God is and who Jesus Christ is because it affects how we live life. It will affect your everyday lives, how you handle situations and circumstances at work, how things are dealt with with the family. When you face obstacles or difficulties and you're thinking, I don't quite know how I'm going to get through that, your view of Jesus Christ is going to have a profound effect with how you face those obstacles, how you face those challenges. If you feel God is calling you to do big things, if you've only got a little view of God, you probably won't even attempt them. But if you have a view of God as the creator, as the sustainer, as above and beyond all things, it will shape how you live your life. Now, my, I've, I've got a couple of aims through this preach, but my main aim for, from this preach is that we worship God at the end. So that's why we've cut the worship short. And in some ways, I felt as we were worshiping, cool, we could carry on. But I want to cut it short because, because I want to fuel our praise and worship this morning. Uh, my prayer is that our hearts will be fuller, that, that our minds will have been engaged with who God is and what he's done for us, in a fresh way. So as we sing our songs, as we raise our hands, as we clap and applaud him, in a sense there's more there. There's more to grab hold of. Now, as we read these verses, and I'm, I'm lingering before we read them because I, I, I want to highlight to you, as we read these verses, I do not want you to listen or to read them as though you're reading a manual on how the microwave works. You know, sometimes we can do that. I, I confessed a few... A few weeks ago, sometimes I'm about three or four verses into the Bible, you know, reading a chapter of the Bible, and I suddenly realise, oh yeah, I'm reading the Bible. You know, and you, 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 you forget, you, you miss the first three or four verses. And so, as, I, as, as I, we read this together, my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will come and take these words 
and make them live afresh within you. And cause you, cause praise to rise up in sight. Because we've been born again. Because we've been connected with God. And this stuff, if you're a Christian, this stuff does you good. This stuff excites you, it energises. Let me read a quote before I get on to it. In a minute you'll be shouting out, look, just read the verses. But before I do that, I just, I just want to read a quote by Andrew Wilson. Theology fuels worship. And what we're going to be looking at today is theology. We're looking at what the Bible says about God. We cannot worship what we do not know. We cannot delight in what we have not seen. When we learn about objects, it enhances our brains and equips us to use them. When we learn about people, it enhances our relationships and equips us to serve them. When we learn about God, it enhances our lives and equips us to worship him. So if our theology, so if my preaching this morning, and I pray for God's grace in it, does not regularly and joyfully lead us to worship, then something is wrong. Our hearts, my my prayer is our hearts will engage this morning as we look at these words. So Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to read from verses 15 down to verse 20, but I'm only going to pick up the first three verses. I'm going to be looking at who Jesus Christ is as Lord of all, as creator and sustainer. Matt next week is going to look at Jesus Christ, the saviour of mankind. And so we're splitting into two bits because there's so much in there. He is the image of the invisible God. This is Jesus Christ. The firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is head of the body of the church. The f- he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I will carry on just a little bit. I know the words won't come up behind me, but they're so good. Once you are alienated from God, and you are enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you as holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been, pre- that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Ah, isn't this great truth? You know, starts with the magnificence of God and then it goes into the fact, and he loves us. And through his physical body, he died for us to set us free, to bring us back into a relationship with God. These, these are the things that we're looking at today. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask you, would you please help me this morning to communicate effectively. I pray, would you fill me afresh of your Holy Spirit. And I pray for everyone here. Holy Spirit, would you come and take your word, the truth contained there, and make it live afresh in our hearts. I pray it would cause us to overflow with thanksgiving and praise and worship to God. When we see your magnificence, when we see the wonder of who you are, 
Oh God, would, you, would it fuel our worship, we pray? Would it be acceptable to you, we ask, in Jesus' name? Amen. So we're going to look at uh, the first three verses under three headings. We're going to look at Jesus, God, Jesus, Creator, and Jesus, the Sustainer. The opening words that we read. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The message, which is a paraphrase of the Bible, says this. When we look at the Son, when we look at Jesus... So, when we look at the Son, we see the God who cannot be seen. When we look at Jesus, we see the God who cannot be seen. Mark says in the opening words of his letter, um, he, wrote, he wrote one of the Gospels, the beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. These opening words, what does he say? The beginning of this good news about who? Jesus Christ. Jesus was a common um, name uh, for, for that day and it, was, it means God to the rescue. Christ was not a common phrase and certainly wouldn't have been associated uh, by, by uh, someone who had lived um, certainly not that recently and, and that means Messiah, the Anointed One. Um, the people of the day would have given that title to the coming King, the King who was to come, who was going to set the nation of Israel free. So when Mark says Jesus Christ is talking about the Saviour and yet also the coming Messiah and the readers of that letter would have understood this, this isn't just a name, it's not like um, Jesus Christ, Christ being his surname, it's stating who he is. He's the Messiah, he's the coming King. He's the God who rescues. The God who is unseen is revealed in the God-man Jesus Christ. Warren Worsby says this, and I've got a few quotes in here because I find that these men communicate it so much better than I can. Nature reveals the existence, power and wisdom of God. But nature cannot reveal the very essence of God to us. It is only in Jesus Christ that the invisible God is perfectly revealed. Since no mere creature can perfectly reveal God, Jesus Christ must be God. Do you see that? So in Jesus Christ, when we read the Gospels and we see who Christ is, he is the perfect representation of God. In the Old Testament, before Jesus came, there were shadows. We we could see glimpses and we could understand bits about God. But in Jesus Christ, we see God. In 1 Corinthians 8 verse 6, this is another letter that Paul wrote. He says this, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Can you see the link between God the Father, through whom all things, what are the words? Through whom all things came and through whom, and through whom we live. And then he says the same about Jesus Christ. Through whom all things came and through whom We live. Paul, and he was only writing this 30 years after the death of Jesus Christ, he's he's saying, this man, Jesus Christ, who lived 30 years ago, he is God. He's He's not just a good man. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a charismatic leader type. He is God. And he is worthy to be praised. In John 1 verse 18 it says this, No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Jesus Christ. 
So as we look at Jesus Christ, we see God. He is God. John Piper says this, So the Son in whom the Father delights is the image of God and the radiance of the glory of God. He bears the very stamp of God's nature and is the very form of God. He is equal with God and as John says in those words that I've just read, He is God. So in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1, verse 3. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus wasn't merely a good man. He wasn't merely a teacher. He is God. The exact representation of his being. And that is the clear truth that is taught right the way through the Bible. And to undermine or to take anything away from who Jesus is, is to undermine who Christ is. It's to undermine the gospel. It's to undermine the truth that we stand and we build our lives on. This is my last, my last quote, but it's, it's a good one, so bear, bear with me on this. Jesus' friends and enemies were staggered again and again by what he said and did. He would be walking down the road, seemingly like any other man, then turn and say something like this. Before, ha- before Abraham was, I am. So Jesus would be walking down the road and then just turn, turn to someone and say, before Abraham, before Abraham who existed centuries before, I am. Which was something that people around him would have understood. He was making a claim, I am God. I am God. Or, or he'd say something like this, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Or very calmly, after being accused of blasphemy, he would say, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Imagine that. Not, not just to forgive, it's not just like me forgiving Santino's offence against me. He said, it's, it's all your sins have been forgiven. The Son of Man. To the dead, he might simply say, come forth or rise up and they would obey. To the storms on the sea, he would say, be still. And to the loaf of bread, he would say, become a thousand meals. And it was done immediately. And and in response to the high priest's question, are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? He said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming coming with the clouds of heaven. No man ever spoke like this man. No man ever lived and loved like this man. For in this man, God himself had made all the fullness of the deity dwell bodily. This is the one that we worship. God. In some ways it's not surprising, is it? That the storms obeyed him and that disease fled from him because he is God. He is God. Jesus is God, and this is just something I'm going to say at the end of each point, Jesus is God, and he is sufficient. He is enough. You don't need to add anything more. 
He's God. There is nothing that exists outside of God. Jesus is God. And he is sufficient. The second half of this verse can be just a little bit confusing. I just want to spend just a moment on that. It says, he is the image of the invisible God. And then it says, the firstborn over all creation. Does that mean that what I've just been saying isn't true? Does, does that mean that when it says that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, is that, is that some biological phrase? Is it a phrase saying that Jesus at some point did not exist and then he did exist? That, that in some way he was created? Maybe he was the first thing to be created. No, no, and no again. Jesus had no beginning. He was always there. When he was born in the stable 2,000 years ago, that was not his beginning. He existed before that. What it's talking about when it says he is the firstborn, it's talking about he is preeminent. He is the first. He is the greatest. He is the the one deserving of honour and praise and worship. He is the firstborn. It's like being the firstborn son. Special privileges, special rights, but more than that. He is preeminent. He is the first. That's the Jesus that we worship. Secondly, Jesus, creator. And it says this, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Jesus and for him. In a sense, these opening words, for by him all things were created, are then just unpacked in the rest of the verse. When he talks about um, in heaven and on earth and things like that, it's just an unpacking of these opening words. Jesus Christ is the creator. And in some ways, isn't it, this is probably one of the most contested truths in the Bible, isn't it? Did did God really create? Is, Is everything that we see, and even the things we cannot see, because they're so small we cannot see them, or they're so far away that we cannot vision. Did God create it all? Is it possible that anything exists that is big enough, powerful enough, wise enough to create such a universe, to such a planet, to create nature, to create mankind? Is it possible that there is a being that is able to do that? Well, I know, I know what most of you would would say. What would you say? Oh, you don't sound convinced by that. Yeah? Don't we? The one we come to worship. He is the creator. The Bible's clear in that. Start to finish. In the, in, you know, in the writers of the Bible, there is no doubt, there is no question that the God we worship is able to do these things. It's not a question. He is able The heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers or authorities, all things are created by him and for him. Other bits of the Bible say the same thing. John 1 verse 3. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And as I, as I mentioned earlier, um, it's not surprising, is it, that the wind and the waves obeyed him and that disease fled from him because he's the creator God. He's the creator. There is nothing in creation that is eternal except God himself. 
Everything else had a beginning. Christ was. Christ is the agent of creation through whom God made heaven and earth. Now, I'm going to go into some facts and figures here which are, are mind-blowing, but I, I just want to do it because I want to get the vastness of this creation that our Creator God made. Scientists say that in our galaxy, and I don't think they've counted them, so I think they're guessing, that there are 100,000 million stars. So there's 100,000 million stars, like our sun. But there's also another 100,000 million galaxies like the one we're in. And in Genesis there is that throwaway line, and he made the stars. He put them in place. This, this is the God that we worship Sunday by Sunday. This is the one we come to, not, 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 not a small God, just a God of our minds or imaginations, a God who is so vast we cannot fathom, we cannot reach to the extent of who he is and how much he has done. He's the one who flung the stars out into space. He placed them there. But he, he, he doesn't just put the stars there, he also creates in infinite detail as well. We can have the next slide up. That's not too clear because of the sun, but just if any of you, if there are any young babies around, politely ask if you can hold them after the meeting this morning. Just have a look. God knit them together. So the big stars in place, and yet every single young life, God knows, he, he is aware of. I, I wanted to get some, and if you go on the internet, you can find these 4D scans. So they're, they're, they're scans of, of, of a baby in the womb and you can see a, four, a, a 4D scan of it if you go on YouTube or something like that. They're, they're amazing. From, from the very youngest age you can see them, them moving and their hands and their feet and their noses and, and, and things like that. And it's, and it's an ama- amazing thing to do with creation. How God has knit them together and how from the very young, youngest age you know, they're, they're clearly babies. You know, they're, they're clearly there. But it's not, not just creation and, and, and then babies. Just put the last slide up, please, Jan. That's great. But I, I guess this is something like the Barrier Reef. It might be. I don't, I don't think it's a sea life centre in Hastings. But, but just, just the colour and the variety and um, just... And that's under the water. Do you know what I mean? We just don't... Most of, you know, most of us won't even see it face to face. And yet, our Creator God... He created it all. He made it all. He is an amazing, amazing God. Now, as I mentioned at the start of this, um, this, this section, um, probably creation is one of the most contested uh, truths in the Bible in our present day. You know, the whole creation-evolution thing? You know, much has been said of evolution. Hasn't it, hasn't it disproved creation? Hasn't evolution made the Bible's view of creation impossible? Aren't sort of evolution and science the same thing? And, and I, I have to confess I'm not, I'm not an expert. I am growing in my understanding um, of, of these things. But from, from what I have read and what I understand, and I, I thought with evolution, I'll just look it up in a modern dictionary just to see what does it say about evolution. And I want you to hear this 
that, that what it, just what it says. This isn't diction. This isn't me sort of putting my own words to it. Evolution, the process by which different kinds of living organism are believed to have developed. So even within a... I was going to say even within the Bible, no. Even within a dictionary, it talks about believed to have developed. Especially by natural selection or by gradual development. And if you're not careful, you can sort of either read in the papers or listen on the news as though evolution has been proved. Everything is, is joined up. Everything sort of science. You know, evolution and science. Well, they're the same thing. But there are big, big holes in it. I think, I think nearly everyone would, would agree that evolution occurs on a micro sort of level. So, so frogs can grow longer legs or lizards can be uh, helped to change to escape from predators. But at a macro level or at a bigger level where species are actually changing, I don't think, for, to my knowledge, there is any proof that that has taken place. And I, I don't want to do any more than to prompt you and cause you to think and look into it more, but it is not proven and you can from how, how you listen to things and the things that are said, you can just assume, well, isn't that, isn't that the case? Well, well, no, it's not. The whole basis of science is an intellectual and practical activity encompassing the systematic study of structure and behaviour of the physical and natural world through observation and experiment. And the whole thing with evolution is, one of the things needed for evolution to take place is hundreds of billions of years, so there is no way of observing it. You, the whole theory of evolution bases over a very long time frame. So you, you, you can't observe, you can, you can see things as they are now, but you don't necessarily know what caused them to be like they are now. You can only guess and, and, and put the bits together. I wonder, and this is just where I want to sort of tie this little section up, I wonder if, if for many people the choice to believe in evolution isn't so much of a scientific one, as, as a choice that is good because then you don't need to believe in a God. And that in some ways it's a moral decision. People may not sum it up that way. And, and it's nice to say, well, but now it's scientific and I, 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 I just don't see it there. I think it's more to do with a moral decision that if I believe in evolution, therefore I don't need to believe that there is a God. But I believe if, if I believe that someone made it all, then, then am I accountable to that being? Do I have to relate to that being? Do I have to look and find out what pleases that being and try and live my life wrapped around what, what he says is right and what he says is wrong? And so I wonder if it, it is, in, in many cases, has a lot to do more with actually personal choice than it has to do with science. And it's so important that we get this right as well for ourselves. Because creation sets the context for us in how we live our lives. We are the created. He is the creator. We're not not the highest. We're not the biggest. We're not the greatest. We're not, not in a sense, the centre of the universe. He is. He is the creator. And we are the creative. And that, that defines how we relate with other people and it defines how we relate with God. We also find in these verses as we go on through 
Just at the bottom of verse 6 it says this. It says, Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. He not only created this universe, but he's got an ongoing commitment to creation. At the end of verse 16, all things were created by him and for him. Let's, read, let's, do, let's say that again. All things were created by him and for him. So, so what is, who's, who's creation for? Who's creation for? It's for God. So who are you created for? Yeah. We're, we're created, our first, our highest calling, we are created to bring glory to God. And that defines us as well, doesn't it? We're not, we're not just created. God has just created and has left us to get on with it. We're created by him and for him. Our lives. We need to live our lives on the, on the basis, hey, I'm created for his glory. So just as I tie up that second point, let me say it again. Jesus is God. Jesus is the creator. And that, those last words, I said them last time, he is sufficient. Jesus Christ is sufficient. He is God, he's the creator, he is sufficient for us. And lastly, we're going to look at Jesus, the sustainer. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And I think this is one of the, the concepts I've personally found hardest to get my head round as I've been preparing this. If God stopped sustaining the universe, it would collapse. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If he stopped sustaining the universe, it would just stop. He has a, he's not just God, he's not just the creator, he is also the sustainer. Let me read something to you from Isaiah 40, verse 26. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Or Job 34, verses 14 and 15. If it were his intention and he withdrew his spirit and breath, all mankind would perish together and man would return to the dust. I'm not certain I like it. Do you know what I mean? It's a bit... Sort of, in one sense, it causes me to worship at his glory and his majesty. It also makes me a bit, a bit nervous too. You know, I, I quite like to be independent. I quite like to think, we, you know, I make the decisions. Now, and as Christians, come on, let's be real. Often our days can be shaped like that. You know, I, I want to make the decision, I want to do the things I want to do. Those sorts of, but, but he's sustaining our very lives, our very breath. 
even the biggest things that we're surrounded with, the stars, you know, the, the stars that we saw on that screen earlier, they're there because of God. They're there because he's placed them there. They're there because he sustains them. And yet also down to mankind, he sustains our breath, our, our very breath. It's, in some ways it's, it's stirring, it causes us to, or causes me to want to worship anyway. Um, and yet also I guess it brings a great security. The God that I worship has numbered my days and placed the breath within me. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Carol, where are you? Could you come up, please? It's great. I just want to use Carol for a bit of an illustration. Do any of you like making models? Or have any of you ever made a model of anything or made something? What sort of things do you like to make? Shout something out. Pardon? Ships? Yeah? Aeroplanes? What? People? <laughs> That's an honest answer, I suppose. If, if before you'd come out this morning, if, you'd come out before, if before you'd come out this morning, you had made a model, say a model of a house, and you put it on your table, when you came back, assuming no one gets near it, when you came back, what would it be like? It would be the same, wouldn't it? And sometimes I think we can have a view of creation a bit like that. God made it, and then he just lets it get going. He lets it go. But actually the creation that we're talking about here, Carol, can you just play a, whatever you play, is it a note, a chord, or I don't know what you do. Creation is more like this. Carol has created something. And all the time she's actively involved with it, it continues. But if you stop, it stops. The God we worship is the creator God. Jesus Christ is the sustainer. And that creation, yes, there's creation at the beginning, but also that sustaining power. And it's much more reflected by something like a note or, or, or a tune that is played than, than something static that is left to itself. This is the God that we worship. This is the one that we come to. Jesus is God. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the sustainer of all things and he is sufficient. He is worthy to be praised. We're going to worship God now and uh, I hope that that's, that's enabled, that's fueled your prayer. We're going to sing some magnificent hymns and things like that. But at the end, I want to come and preach my last point. So I've still got one more to go. Still got a, a, a sort of a summing up I want to bring. But I want, I want to give us an opportunity. Let's worship God Let's praise his name. Let's give him the glory because he's worthy to be praised and he's worthy to be worshipped. So let's stand up, be on our feet. And why, why don't I... Well, let me encourage you. Why, why don't we just all together just start lifting our voices and say, thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your majesty and your power. Thank you, Lord, that you are the creator God. Thank you, you're above and beyond all things. Thank you, Lord, that you love us intimately. Thank you, you're sustaining us by your word of power.